So, it's Pentecost Sunday. Um, I, for many years, well, I've attended different churches over the years. I got saved in, I think you might call it a Brethren Church, and then went to a college Anglican church, and I've been in New Frontiers and Elim. I don't know what that says about me, but I have been in very different denominations, and sometimes Pentecost is not even mentioned. I've even been in Pentecostal church where uh, it's not even mentioned. So, (laughs) but we were recently, my wife and I, Anita, she's up there with the 11 to 14s this morning in safe hands. There she is with with your youngsters. We've taken up using the train quite a lot more because I've just realised through, through and after COVID that I actually don't like driving on British motorways and uh, I found another way to travel and it is by train. And, and a train is very communal. Cars are very individual, very private, very, very Western, very non-communal. But you get on a train and you see people opposite you and sometimes you want to move away from them. Um, but you do mix with people. And we were going, coming back from London to Poole and uh, the train driver, who was uh, a bit bored, I think, he came over on the tannoy. He said, the next station is Brockenhurst. Yay. <laughs> and we looked at each other, and we thought, uh, is he of sound mind? But So this is Pentecost Sunday. Yay. <laughs> See, Christians often don't even know what to say. You could say, happy Christmas. They go, happy Christmas. But if you go up to a Christian and you say, happy Pentecost, they would look at you as if you are crazy. Anyone, did anyone wake up this morning and say, happy Pentecost to anyone? Did anyone dash down to the co-op and see if they had any happy Pentecost cards? Why not? It's because we don't know quite what to do with it. We've got Christmas. It's been appropriated by the world, you might say. It's commercialized and, and it's been turned into uh, something that doesn't really resemble much at all with the biblical story of Christmas. And we've got Easter, and we've got bunnies, and things like that. I don't know quite where they came from, do you? Where did the Easter bunny come from? Is there a theology behind that? So we've got Pentecost, and we've got two words that go together uh, that we mentioned this morning. We mentioned the Holy Spirit. And words are laden with meaning, and not many people, if you said you know, the word holy, holy sounds distant and scary and judgmental. And the word spirit, for, if you're not a Christian, can seem like spirit, ghost, it's a funny old thing we're trying to communicate here. So we've got an, not knowing quite what to do with Pentecost and even many, many Christians not knowing quite how to relate to the Holy Spirit. Am I, is that true? Maybe not true for you individually, but can you connect with that, that some people do not know quite what to do with the Holy Spirit? We've got the Father God, we've got Jesus Christ the Son, and we've got the Holy Spirit. Yay. We don't know quite what to do. That's no disrespect to the Holy Spirit. I'm making fun of ourselves and uh, me especially. So this is Pentecost Sunday. It is a big deal. And the Gospel of Luke ends on a really high note before the book of Acts that he also wrote, Busy Guy. The the Gospel of Luke ends on a high note and it's really quite strange. Why did it end on a really sort of high note? It's strange because Jesus has left them. And yet it ends on a high note. Jesus has left them. He was their friend, and he's gone. He was their saviour, and he's gone. He was their Messiah, and he's gone. He was everything to them, and he was, he's gone. He's their hope, and he's gone. But Luke is very clear that this is good news, which makes you think, or at least it should make you and I think, that either Luke has eaten too many Cheerios for breakfast, or we have missed something. 
and then get this. When he had left them out to the vicinity of Bethany, that's Jesus, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. He left them and they returned with great joy. If you walk out of a movie, you're at the cinema, and you go out for five minutes because you want to grab some Maltesers or some Haribos or whatever it is they sell in cinemas now, uh, you need to go to the loo and you come back in and you've missed a few minutes. And sometimes it doesn't make sense and you have to say to someone, what just happened? What just happened? So what just happened between Jesus leaving and then returning with great joy? Well, Jesus had just before in verse 49 of Luke told the disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit just as the Father promised. And he tells them to stay put in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills them with power. That's the missing link. And the more observant among the disciples will remember that Jesus had said this, as John records in his gospel, Jesus says to them at the Last Supper, he says, but in fact, it's best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the comforter, the encourager, the counsellor, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, he won't come. It's good that I go, because if I don't go, he won't come. And if I do go away, then I will send him to you. And thanks to Luke, we get to see the sequel to the Gospels, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes. And it is wild. You couldn't make it up. It's like nothing that's ever been seen before. The Holy Spirit is... Someone said, what, who is the Holy Spirit? Not what is the Holy Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is no less than God present with us. God present within us. So, that's who the Holy Spirit is. And as we've seen, some like to call Pentecost the birthday of the church. And the book of Acts that we've read that Luke has written or read from, uh, some call that the Acts of the Apostles. Some prefer Acts of the Holy Spirit. I don't know what you prefer. I think both are right. It's the Acts of the Apostles filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is crazy if you stop and think about it for a moment. Because God is all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's present everywhere. He's eternal, he lacks for nothing, and he allows us, in fact, he invites us, he invites you, and he invites me to work with him to bring, the holy, to bring good news to the rest of creation. So God gives his son, he sends his Holy Spirit, and God fills us with himself. Now, um, we're not talking, when we say God fills us with his Holy Spirit, we're not talking one of those little communion cups, those little polite little ones, they're good for hygiene. Um, I don't know how you clean them. Do you clean them? Um, we just pray over them. But little communion cups. We're not talking God giving the Holy Spirit in a little, little portion like that. We're not invited to a divine wine tasting with VIPs and dignitaries and everyone is very polite but looking forward to getting home. We're called to a house party where the guests are diving into the sea from a pontoon with all of their clothes on. And they are totally 
throwing themselves into it. No one really knows in the book of Acts this story we've just dipped into. No one really knows what is going to happen next. They're not reading the book of Acts. They are living it. They're in it. They're not looking back at history. They're making it. And so may God shake me, you, us. May God shake us from our faded, jaded, dry, dusty head knowledge and call us up to soak up the book of Acts as if we'd never, ever read it before, so we might dare, even just a little bit, to get excited. Um, I'm not very good at, uh, at, at sort of expressing excitement. I'm, I'm, I think I get that from my parents. Um, this is me really sad. This is me really happy. <laughs> this is me really excited. This is me finding something really, really funny, like in a movie. So I'm not very good at expression outwardly, but inwardly, lots is going on. It's just that I find it difficult to express it. I might be repressed. I probably do need counselling, I know. But let's even dare to get a bit excited. So, Acts chapter 1. We were just reading a little bit. On one occasion, while he was getting eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my heart Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptised with water, but in a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And you will receive power, and the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. I, I really love it that Luke highlights this intimate group. He gives us names of some, but not all. Um, it's not just the disciples, it's Jesus, his mother and brothers, and this group called the women. They're praying, they're really praying. It's been 10, week, uh, 10 days rather since Jesus ascended. Um, they'd seen the crucifixion, they'd witnessed the resurrection appearances of Jesus, they'd seen him ascend to heaven. And now they're waiting. They're waiting and they're praying. They're not prophets, they're not priests, they're not kings in the Old Testament sense. But they had been promised something and they trusted both the promise and the person who made it. And I would ask ourselves here this morning, do you? Do you trust the promise and the person who made it? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now Luke says that it was like tongues appeared like this, it looked like that. He's trying to describe something which is indescribable. Something out of the ordinary was going on here, something that had not been witnessed before. Not that life around Jesus had ever been anything like ordinary, 
Uh, the best that Luke can do is to say it was like this and it was like that. That might just upset some of you because you want it to be real tongues of fire. But I'd, I'd be a bit... Fr- I don't know, who wants a tongue of fire to touch them this morning? I'm not sure I want that. I don't know what was going on there, but we know that it was Luke's attempt to describe the coming of the Holy Spirit. And soon after, one of those present, Peter, the apostle, good old Peter, he preaches to this crowd that appears. Uh, there wasn't a lot going on in, you know, in that, that quarter. There was, uh, they, they, they heard this sound and noise and wondered what was going on. So they, they come and it says the crowd appears and Jesus, let, uh, Jesus, Peter, lets them have it with both barrels. The prophet Joel, he said, had predicted this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on young and old on, and on men and women. And Peter's words about Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection and ascension, it says in Acts 2.37, pierced their hearts. It's not often that you hear something that pierces your heart. When did you last hear something that pierced your heart? The weather report? The stock market latest news? The press headline? When did you last hear something that pierced your heart? But it pierced the hearts of the crowd. And the crowd cry out, brothers, what should we do? Emotions are really highly charged. Uh, But the response from this crowd is more than emotional is a result of Peter's words being saturated with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Peter doesn't invite them to a series of Bible studies on a Monday evening with tea, coffee and biscuits, or the first century equivalent. He'd been prepared for this. He'd spent three years in apprenticeship with Jesus. He'd made awful mistakes. He'd been forgiven and restored. He was still clumsy in many ways, hot-headed, But what he says is charged with everything that he's lived and experienced up to date. First hand, and he says this. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. That's not a very popular word, is it? Repent. It's not often very, very welcome. It's not used very often, but that's what Peter says to the crowd. What should we do? Our hearts are pierced. We need to respond to this. He says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter's only just himself witnessed this outpouring of the Spirit in, with the crowd uh, in the room with Mary and the brothers and, and all of them together. He's only just experienced the Holy Spirit himself And here he is already, prompted by the same Holy Spirit, offering the same experience to the crowd. So you might reasonably say at one level, okay, Andy, a little bit of church history there, thanks very much. That was then, and this is now. Or as my brother once said to someone who was studying history, why are you doing that? It's all in the past. Uh, That same brother played a prank with a few other friends, Um, many, many years ago, when cars were much smaller than they are now, when they were people-sized, and when engines were smaller and cars were simple, uh, he and a few friends, as a joke, took out the engine from a car belonging to one of their mates. The the mate didn't know about it. And then when the, the friend gets to start the car, try to drive the car, it doesn't start. Of course it doesn't start. So they persuade him 
to contact the AA. And he contacts the AA, this friend, gets the AA out. The AA, AA open up the bonnet, and there's no engine inside. The poor guy was so embarrassed. The car looked the same on the outside, but there was something missing. It had no power at all, and it wasn't going anywhere. In youth work, we sometimes ask questions like this. You might want to withdraw your children from youth if you, if you, understand the que- if you know the questions we ask. We ask questions like this. Would you rather have a six-foot-long ta- tongue or an upside-down nose? Anyone? What would you rather have, six-foot-long tongue or an upside-down nose? Bit dodgy when it rains. But here's another question for this morning. Would you rather run out of power in a helicopter or a submarine? <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? Hopefully, hopefully you'll say neither, because having no power in either situation would be disastrous. We're not called to powerlessness. Christians are not called to powerlessness. There's one God-given mission that we all have, which is the spread of the good news. In fact, the whole of the book of Acts is about this explosive spread of the good news, driven by the Holy Spirit, started by Jesus, continued by the church until he comes again. And we need help to achieve that. Um, I read recently of a confession of a priest. Now, that should prick up your ears. A, A priestly confession. It was a very personal experience. This priest wrote that he was in a very draining season of his life. Things were hard. He felt empty. And he, it brought him to ask deep down for the Holy Spirit. He confessed that his enthusiasm for God had diminished. He confessed that he was struggling with temptation. He confessed his heart felt empty. And he turned to the Bible and he asked for help from other Christians who helped him to understand that what was wrong was he was thirsty for God. And he was encouraged to seek and expect the release of the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes it feels like lots is going wrong in our lives, lots of demands. Something's going well, but lots of things draining us, calling upon us in such a way that we feel we can't quite manage, and we just feel empty. And we're so busy, we, stop to ref- we don't stop to reflect or ask or seek or, or take time out or that, you know, that tyranny of the now. And we, stop to reali- we don't realise that what it is is that we're thirsty for God. And I know there are people in this room today, because we're all humans, that are thirsty for God. You've been a Christian for a long time. You're active. It looks outwardly like everything's going fine. You're contributing here, here, and here. You're a family person. You've got a... Uh, a job and you're doing stuff at church but actually what's wrong is you're thirsty for God and this priest was encouraged to expect the release of the Holy Spirit and he doesn't go into detail nor will I but he basically says it was like a hidden spring began to flow once more in his life and um, as I said in the earlier service I'm reading an interesting book if you're a bit nerdy like me I'm, I'm currently into Uh, the topic of London. My daughter lives there, so I'm reading lots and lots of stuff on London, including a book called London Under, and I think that's the title, because I often dive into the content, forget to look at the front page, but I think it's called London Under. And in this book, it's all about, literally, what is under London. 
And they were doing some road works, and it came across uh, some, something in the, in the surface there, which they, they dislodged and opened up, and it went down sort of 12 or more steps, and there was a little spring bubbling there at the bottom of the, these steps that had been there for always. London had grown over the top, it had been forgotten about, but they think it was actually, I, uh, if I recall correctly, a little Roman temple. But there, all along, was this little spring bubbling away, uh, but the people above on the surface had forgotten all about it. And it can be like that for us, that we can have the Holy Spirit within us, we are signed, sealed, and delivered, we are going to, you know, we're, we're going to be, we are saved, but there's this spring that's there, this living water that we've sort of forgotten about, we've got used to doing things on our own. So as the Messiah, Jesus, in his humanity, has the full power of the Holy Spirit on him. And Jesus performs miracles through the Holy Spirit. Jesus performs miracles through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the head of the new people of God. Jesus is our mentor. He's our model. He's our master. And Luke, in his gospel, his book of Acts, makes it totally clear that God did not leave the early disciples to struggle along on their own either. Through the Holy Spirit, God guides them, he empowers them, he equips them, he reveals his will to them. Why, why does he do that? Because he, they can then continue the work Jesus began in bringing forgiveness, in bringing for salvation, in bringing healing, in bringing restoration in these last days. The work of Jesus begun in his earthly ministry, is not yet complete. Did anyone see the coronation concert? Just one or two of you? Just two? I know that's not true. Christians are liars, aren't they, John? <laughs> just, who, who saw the coronation concert? I know, hopefully it's more than that. Seven. No, I think it's quite a lot more, yeah. So in the, who saw the young pianist Lucy then? Yeah, saw her play? Wow. You may have also seen a film of her being taught by her piano teacher a few years before. I'll show you a two-minute clip in a moment. And she places her hands on the teacher's hands, her piano teacher's hands, and she follows the movements of his fingers on the keys until they become hers. And I cannot think of a better image of how we can live just like Jesus did. That is in the holy power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just watch this clip. Did you notice a question the piano teacher asks Lucy? It's this, do you want to swap places or huh, hold on to my hands? Isn't that what God says to us? Do you want to swap places or hold on to my hands? And when I saw that clip, I thought, my word. Thank you, Lord. That's a picture for us, I think, today. So as we close in a moment, I want to share this verse with you. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? Good theology is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the God of history, he's the God of now, and he's the God of our future, individual and corporate. So God has not finished doing wild things or new things. The danger is, if like me, as you get a bit older, you see your options appear to close down and your life seems to be on a particular track. Things that you could have chosen when you were 20, you can't choose when you're 50. Things you could have done when you were 30, you can't do when you're 60. But God is the God of new things. And 
we know that God is not the God of repeats and stale, uh, reheated meals. God does fresh new things. And if you're feeling a little bit tired and thirsty and empty, uh, take time out to reflect on whether it is that you are simply thirsty for God. Remember when the Holy Spirit comes, he is God within us, within you. So I'm going to read a few quotes and then uh, I hope you'll enjoy a little poem at the end. I don't normally do poetry, it's not my thing, but I'm going to read a few quotes, then a little bit of poetry at the end. So a few quotes from a guy called Simon Ponsonby. He's an author, speaker, theologian. He's written a number of books, including two, God Inside Out, an in-depth study of the Holy Spirit, and another one called More. I love this title, More. How you can have more of the Spirit when you already have everything in Christ. So here's just four little quotes from Simon, and then I'll read a poem for those that like poems. Simon writes, The desire for more of God is a sign of spiritual health. The mature want more. He writes, God is a promise maker and a promise keeper. But are we promise seekers and promise takers? He says, the person who would have more of God must give more to God. Do you desire more of God? Then yield to him. And finally, with the fourth quote, we must not attempt to domesticate this wild wind of God Rather, we must inhale deep, deep drafts of this life-giving, divine life, setting the sail to be carried wherever he wills. So, a little poem to end. Here we go. Lord, I feel, well, I am a bit, no, hang on, more than a bit, something approximate to a large brick building. I'm apprehensive and even a touch frightened about allowing you to deal with things in my life. It's not that I don't trust you, you understand. It's just that I sort of, well, can't quite get my head around having someone else saying what they think about and suggesting alternative types of behavior for my actions. For, from what I understand, it's not a one-off sort of thing. You seem to imply that you want to get involved on a daily basis. Now, that's a lot of involvement for someone like you, with someone like me. I'm not sure what you want from me, and I'm not supposed, or what I'm supposed to be doing or not doing. But whatever it is, I know I'm never going to find out by shutting myself away in my emotional dustbin. So I suppose, even though I might regret saying this later, uh, or if it turns out okay, maybe I won't regret it, I think it might be about time that we joined forces and face the world together. And that you'll be my power source when all around me seems daunting and confusing. That you'll be my friend when a loneliness strikes. That you'll stick up for me against the giants of fear, anger and hurt that try to trample all over me. Be with me, Lord. When my eyes are open and when they're closed, be with me. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we open our eyes, our ears, and ask that you speak to us. We ask that 
We encounter your presence afresh and hear your voice in new ways and in new places. Save us, Lord. Save me. Save each one from asking for too little in our attempt not to ask for too much. Help us to know the difference it makes when we choose to live in the power of your Holy Spirit rather than under our own steam. Help us to find ways to walk simply with you each day and to place our hands upon yours. Amen.